Propaniacs. Climb on up on this couch, fellow Propaniacs. Let's just sit for a while. As Bobby embraces love, Hank and Peggy embrace each other, and the guys embrace some of Khan's refuse in the second episode of King of the Hill Season 3, and they call it Bobby Love. I'm your host and certified Angus, King of the Hill superfan, Melton McMainerberry, and now let's slice into the rare steak that is this episode. By the way, this episode is brought to you by Shiny Pines Trailer Park. It may have tipped over, but it's still there. First, some general themes. There are two main stories in this episode, and the C story we'll talk about as well. The A story is this relationship between Bobby and his presumed girlfriend, Marie. It's also a B story of the guys and this couch that they find in the alley and deal with in various stages. It's remarkable here, I think, that Bobby gets the A story while Hank gets the B story. Shades of plastic white female here, and there is a lot of plastic white female in this episode. There's also a good bit of Husky Bobby in this episode. Bobby episodes are pretty rare up until this point in King of the Hill. We just named two. A few others from season two, The Son That Got Away and Bobby Slam. And that's kind of it so far in King of the Hill. Others, like Hank's Got the Willies and The Order of the Straight Arrow, had a heavy dose of Bobby, but were really more about Hank and Bobby's relationship than about Bobby as an individual and his pre-adolescent journey. And Bobby's presence on King of the Hill is starting to get more prominent, but that relationship between him and Hank, I would argue, remains the heart of the show for its entire run. So we're never going to get away from that, even as Bobby becomes more developed as a character. So let's see how some of that plays out in this episode. So in the first act, we get introduced to the A story where Bobby meets someone, but something doesn't smell right. And we have to ask, what is the exact nature of this relationship that he begins to form. Over in the B story, as I mentioned, we also ask the question, what happens when the guy's routine is disrupted, as it will be by this foreign object? I'll go ahead and say here that I find this B story funny, and I find it essential to the episode as comic relief. It's similar to the Dale story in the previous episode, Propane Boom Part 2. But for this discussion... I think it's probably mostly interesting only as it relates to and parallels the A story. So that's the approach I'm going to take with it. So as the episode starts off, Bobby encounters what I'm going to call a young woman in the Tom Landry Middle School hallway. And it's highly reminiscent of his psychedelic dream sequence in Plastic White Female, where the school hallways are populated with lockers and tall girls who intimidate Bobby because of their multifaceted superiority over him, at least as he sees it. Now, the young lady that he meets is one Marie. Marie is voiced by an actress who knew how to play somewhat intimidating blonde school-age girls on television in the late 90s, and that's Sarah Michelle Gellar. Gellar's voice acting is outstanding in this episode. She's up there with Sally Field, whom we, we've talked about, and Lisa Kudrow and Renee Zellweger, whom we haven't gotten to yet, as some of the more memorable one-off guest voices throughout King of the Hill's run. Pamela Adlon as Bobby, playing opposite Geller in this one, is not to be taken for granted either. Adlon is, of course, always outstanding as Bobby. And these two actresses pairing in this episode just works to a T. They manage to convey the certain brand of chemistry, bizarre though it may be, that Marie and Bobby have between them perfectly. That's no small matter because there is nuance in this relationship, as we'll see. But what else can we say about the character of Marie? Well, she's clearly older than Bobby, and moreover, she seems to be fully into adolescence, where Bobby is famously and perpetually just on the brink 
of adolescence, but not quite there. We talked about that a lot in the Plastic White Female episode. Maurice seems to be somewhat stylish, or maybe hip is the better word, at least in this culture, as much as you can be at Tom Landry Middle School anyway. I mean, her hair is styled. She's wearing overalls like girls did in the 90s. And she just seems put together and attractive in a way that Bobby's circle of friends really isn't at this point. In a word, Marie is pretty obviously out of Bobby's league. And yet, there is some genuine connection here, some attraction from Marie to Bobby, or at least amusement that makes her interested. Now, we start to see this as Bobby has dropped his book near the lockers, and this almost has to be a deliberate reference to that dream sequence I mentioned in Plastic White Female. In that sequence, Bobby's dropping his book leads to ridicule by these tall, intimidating women. This time, he encounters Marie, along with one of her friends, again, much taller than Bobby, and they laugh at him also, as the girls did in Plastic White Female. But this time, it feels a little different. It's less mockery and more amusement. Here's some of the nuance I was talking about. It's not that Marie is making fun of Bobby necessarily. I think she is genuinely amused, but she certainly doesn't take him seriously. He's something like an asexual boy toy, an easy mark who really does make her laugh. It's something in between mockery and affection. And we sense quickly what dangerous ground this is going to be for Bobby, because it would be asking a lot for a 12-year-old boy to pick up on the subtle nuance that's happening here. And needless to say, he doesn't. Connie is also nearby, and here again, this feels like a reference to, or maybe even a sequel to, Plastic White Female. But tragically, rather than having Connie save him from this precarious and premature flirtation with adolescence, Bobby ignores and neglects Connie in favor of Marie and Marie's circle of friends. And Bobby's brief follow-up conversation with Connie shows two important things. One, Bobby doesn't get the joke. Connie doesn't get it. She asks Bobby to explain it, and Bobby can't. He doesn't get it either. And because neither of them get it, there is a natural connection between Bobby and Connie that Bobby and Marie simply can't have. There's just too much of a chasm between them that would need to be spanned. Now, in the living room, this call from Marie to Bobby that Hank answers gives us a little more of a peek into what she's up to and why she is interested in Bobby. Because Bobby's quip that he can always tape his prior engagement really didn't seem to have been meant as a joke, but she laughs as though it had been. Bobby has a pretty girl smiling, laughing, and asking him on what sounds like a date, and he's not going to stop and question it. But we, the viewers, are seeing that maturity gap and seeing how Bobby's innocence and naivety are major parts of the attraction for Marie. It just doesn't feel like this is going to end well for Bobby. But they go on this date to the Arlen Mall, and I appreciate the grounding here as, I mean, for all of Marie's maturity compared to Bobby, she reminds us that she's still a middle schooler herself who is figuring things out. We see this in her inability to articulate why exactly she's a vegetarian. Is it about poverty and scarcity of resources, or is it about animal rights? And the animation and voice acting are great as she... You know, when you're saying something and as you say it, it hits you that it doesn't really make sense. And that happens to Marie here. As we can see, she's taken a position likely more because it felt hip to do so than because of any real conviction about the principles behind it, which she is unable to articulate. 
Well, a little later, Act 1 ends with the best and worst thing that could have happened to Bobby in this situation. He has his second, not his first, mind you, that was with Connie and Plastic White Female, but his second kiss. And again, there is something like attraction here for Marie to Bobby. But it's more like he's an oddity and just so easy to take advantage of that it's, he's irresistible to her. But at any rate, she clearly, from the from the matter-of-fact way she walks away after this kiss, is not in any way attached to Bobby and committed to him. But this kiss is basically a game-changer as far as Bobby is concerned. And here we go, down a road that we know is going to end tragically, but which we also know may just be another necessary rite of passage for Bobby in this transitional life stage that he's in. But before we get out of Act 1, we have to say, while all this is going on with Bobby, the guys work through an initial rejection of this routine-busting couch that has appeared in the alley, and they've moved to acceptance. Shout out to Boomhauer's mention of Lucky Pierre as a callback to last season's episode, Three Days of Condo. Then that's all I have to say about that. But as Bobby initially deflected Marie's attempt at something like intimacy with this kiss on the couch, no less, then pivoted instantly to a hyper-acceptance, the guys remain cautious, but make the, to us, obvious move of trying out physical contact with the couch, and they see that it is good. The couch is no obstacle. The couch is no enemy. The couch is not to be kept at arm's length. The couch is something to be embraced and enjoyed. Well, on to Act 2, and as the guys even more fully embrace the couch, Bobby's relationship with Maria is going to develop... And there's also a small C story that develops in this act. As a result of Bobby's flaunting what he thinks is a legitimate relationship with Marie to Hank and Peggy, Hank and Peggy attempt to do something like rekindle their old passion and display some highly out-of-character, except when they're smoking, apparently, and keeping up with our Joneses, PDA. So we first start to see this flaunting the next morning as our suspicions are confirmed. Bobby has vastly overestimated the nature and stage of his relationship with Marie. And similar to Luann in Meet the Manger Babies, do you remember this? Where she experienced a little note, a little taste of success, a little retrograde movement on the scales of life, and she instantly and hilariously turned into the obnoxious and self-absorbed stage director. So Bobby instantly turns obnoxious in his braggadocio about his perceived relationship with Marie. It's funny, and in a way, fun to see this side of Bobby, even if we feel pretty confident this is going to be short-lived. But the icing on the cake is how Hank and Peggy basically ignore him while he brags. We've seen something similar before, or kind of the converse of this in a way, where Hank and Peggy move literally a few feet away from Bobby through an open doorway and talk about him like he's not there. Here, Bobby is doing the talking, but Hank and Peggy are still treating him like he isn't there. And while it's certainly funny, it does portray a consistent lack of respect for Bobby as a person with dignity, agency, and all that. Bobby, who, as we've seen, is perpetually on the cusp of growing up, always straddling the line of straddling the line, is easy to take as a kid, even when he is flirting with something a little more mature like this. So I guess his parents could be forgiven for taking him fully as a kid by default, since they've known him his whole life. But Bobby's personality is such that he is unfazed by his parents' lack of audience for his boasting. 
Because Bobby has a self-confidence that always makes him a fun character, and probably ultimately that's what Marie is attracted to in Bobby. So this naivety and an obliviousness to these kinds of disrespect that he experiences are kind of both Bobby's greatest asset and his greatest vulnerability, as we'll see played out in the rest of this episode. But meanwhile, as Bobby is clinging obsessively to Marie, so Bill is literally clinging obsessively to the alley couch because of his fear of losing it. And the rest of the guys join in to defend what they've recently claimed as their possession from two other guys, the garbage men, who appear on the scene uninvited to take it away from them. The grounding here, of course, is that these guys are just trying to do their job and don't really care if the guys keep the couch. As usual, take one step back in a King of the Hill episode and you quickly remember that the stakes really aren't that high. Now, same alley, same couch as Bobby and Marie are returning from another outing, another date, if you will. There's a passing reference here that's easy to miss, but I think critical. I think Connie and Joseph's physical abandonment of Bobby and Marie and Bobby's emotional abandonment of them as he professes ignorance to Marie about Connie and Joseph's whereabouts is significant because it shows the dark side of Bobby's newfound acceptance by this woman of a higher social class. So is Bobby overplaying his hand here? If he leaves the safety of his herd to chase prey that was, until only recently, utterly unattainable, what will happen if he doesn't catch her, or if he catches her but can't hang on to her? To what can he retreat at that point? And we quickly see, during this disinterested kiss by Marie, that that's almost certainly exactly what's going to happen. Okay, side note here. As I recently suspected, I've been making too much of this whole dining room thing all along. I don't know why I thought it was a mystery to be unraveled when the Hills did and didn't use the dining room. It, I think they simply always eat dinner in the dining room and they eat breakfast and lunch in the kitchen. It's kind of that simple. Mystery solved. Not with a bang, but with a whimper. But at any rate, in this dinner and dining room scene, this is where we see that little sea story I mentioned up here. And I think its function in this episode is pretty complex and worth teasing out. So one thing that this sea story does is use Bobby's immature understanding of romance and of his relationship to foil Hank and Peggy's apparent lack thereof, at least outside the bedroom, which is, of course, all Bobby knows. We see that in Peggy's line, I really don't think you can compare a two-day infatuation to a 20-year romance. And Peggy hits the nail on the head there, at least in some sense, right? Because what Bobby is experiencing from his side is certainly a short-term infatuation, not at all love, as he called it. And then, moreover, from Marie's side, it's even less than that. But neither Peggy nor Bobby knows that at this point. But on the other hand, I think it's fair to say here that Bobby has a point, too. When he challenges Hank and Peggy's level of romantic affection with lines like, you know, I don't think I've ever seen you guys kiss, he may have a point, too. So Bobby and Marie's relationship may be inappropriate on some level, especially knowing how it ends. But on another Maybe it can just be seen as an important part of Bobby's maturing, a lesson he's going to learn the hard way, and in that sense, really a positive, such that even his parents could stand to take a lesson uh, and approach life with their guard down just a little bit more and be vulnerable enough to show publicly what previous episodes have shown they do share privately. I mean, Peggy even strongly hints that last part in this scene by telling Bobby that she and his father have done things he can't even imagine. I think that's true. I think they really have. And at this point, 
he really can't. So there's a lot going on here in this scene. But we move over to Connie's room, and I read this algebra tutoring ruse that Connie used to lure Luann to her house. It's kind of a funny nod to the Bechdel test. That's B-E-C-H-D-E-L, if you're not familiar with it and want to look it up. It's about how often when two women have a conversation on TV or in a movie or any work of fiction, they talk about men. It's something you won't be able to unsee once you're aware of it. It's something I think King of the Hill is typically quite good about, or about avoiding. But this scene is so blatantly contrived by the writers to give Connie a way to work out her struggles with Bobby's relationship that the writers just seem to lean into it and just have Connie the character contrive it herself within the fiction of the show. But as that goes on, Bobby's and Marie's relationship is going to reach its climax because they go to a party, a party of her peers, of course, and hat tip to the animators who had the unenviable task here of having to animate teenagers dancing. That's an awkward enough thing to behold in real life. As far as I can tell, the animators seem to have pulled it off and in all its awkwardness while maintaining that essential realism of the King of the Hill aesthetic. But here's where the glass shatters for Bobby, the act two turning point of the A story. As like the guys in the alley, he perceives a two-man threat to his treasured possession and immediately takes measures to defend his ownership of it. Murray reacts predictably to this and... In this memorable scene under the streetlight, Bobby's desperation is hard to watch, as the distance between his and Marie's understanding of what just happened is evident to us as the viewers and to Marie, if still not to Bobby. Because Bobby's question betrays his misunderstanding. He is obsessed with the identities of these two guys that he sees as central to his loss of Marie or the threat thereof. When in fact, they're just the sideshow to the main act of her lack of respect for Bobby and the disparity between her and Bobby's intentions and, to use her word, intensity in this relationship. I can't resist another shout out to Pamela Adlon, who kills as the voice of Bobby's desperation in this scene. She manages to portray his high emotions here with an earnestness that keeps it just this side of camp, right in that sweet spot. And that earnest desperation culminates with Bobby standing just outside the beam of that streetlight in the darkness of his heartbreak, crying out alone with his, What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Comedy bit. And that's our dark end of Act 2. Bobby's world has collapsed, but at least the guys still have the couch. Well, as we wrap the episode up in Act 3, we'll see Bobby working out his grief at losing Marie in the most Texas way possible. And we'll see what happens when Hank also suffers loss. So as we might expect, Bobby at the beginning of this act is of course inconsolable. So I guess Hank has learned his lesson from Luann's saga because he at least initially stays out of this post breakup grieving process, lest he just make it worse. But Hank and Peggy are both really funny here, and frankly, still just not able to take Bobby seriously despite his deep grief. Hank is able to keep his mouth shut until the couch is threatened, his own prized possession. And Peggy uses the opportunity of his heartbreak to declare victory in this battle she and Bobby had over whose relationship was stronger in this sea story. Where is the nurturing Peggy we're used to seeing in situations like this? 
You know, folks, love her or hate her, Peggy looks out for number one, and her priority here is going to be restoring whatever dignity she felt like she lost when Bobby challenged her in the previous act. But as Bobby continues to grieve, as the host of a country music podcast, Nashville Anthems, dissecting 80s and 90s country music, find it on your favorite podcast player today, I must say I agree with Hank and that I appreciate Bobby's choice of Hank Williams as the soundtrack to his shirtless wallowing And we do see Nurturing Peggy show up here. Now that Bobby has fully conceded defeat, as she keeps Lady Bird off of him and covers him with a blanket on the living room floor. But life has to go on. And Hank and Peggy manage to pry Bobby off the floor, get some clothes on him, and take him out to eat. Their own little date at the Panhandler Steakhouse. You may remember this place. This was the scene of Mr. Holloway's pathetic showing in the giant steak-eating contest in The Company Man. But Mr. Holloway was a poser, not a real Texan, unlike one Bobby Hill. Now, Hank gives some questionable, at best, post-breakup advice here about winning and losing that Bobby takes to heart, because his dad said it, and the opportunity to get his revenge on Marie presents itself in the most Texas way possible by his eating a giant slab of beef in front of his vegetarian enemy. Really nice touch here is he goes out of his way to order it rare and give a 72-ounce middle finger to an onlooking Marie. Now, I'm not saying this is healthy for Bobby, physically or emotionally, but in glorious King of the Hill fashion, it's somehow perfect. It's gross, it's hyper-masculine, it's hyper-Texan, but most importantly for Bobby at this moment, in this situation and in this culture, it's a reclaiming of his dignity and self-confidence that, at least as he sees it, Marie has unfairly stripped from him. I mean, in the previous scene, he swore off prop comedy, so you know it's bad. Well, Bobby's victory here is complete. Marie's desperate attempt to discourage him puts her out on a limb as much as Bobby had put himself out on a limb with her previously. In other words, by betting against him verbally, she sets herself up as the loser if he succeeds, which, of course, he does. I want to point out, too, that Bobby has regained his penchant for entertainment with this spectacle also. With the exception of Marie and Chuck Mangione for some reason, a restaurant full of people is cheering him on, and they eat up. The dramatic flair he employs of loosening his fly halfway through the process to make room for more steak. Bobby here is fully restored. Is there anything steak can't do? Well, apparently not everything because, and the irony is nice here, because for all Hank's encouragement of Bobby to get over Marie as quickly as possible, the rubber meets the alley here as Hank and the rest of the guys have to grieve the unexpected loss of their beloved couch. The button over the closing credits is great. Bill has this sneaky streak that we also saw in Hank's Dirty Laundry. Is there any chance here that Bill is the genius of this group and has been playing them for fools to his own benefit all along, like Kevin on The Office? Bill even calls out their unhealthy obsession with the couch. Bill of all people. Someone please flesh out this fan theory for us. So, what do we think about this episode? For me, this is a classic King of the Hill episode. It was funny. Sarah Michelle Gellar as a guest voice was great. The always great Pamela Adlon shined. And Bobby, the character, shined in this one as well. 
I always like Bobby episodes where we get to watch some of Bobby's growing up process. Season 2 had that great one, The Sun That Got Away, while Season 1 had some of the all-time greats, like The Order of the Straight Arrow, and the episode I think this one shares the most DNA with, an episode that was an easy 10 for me when we reviewed it back in Season 1, Plastic White Female. I'm not going to call this one as good as Plastic White Female, which is just a perfect episode of King of the Hill. But still, this was an instant classic. I'm going to go with eight smoochy goober smooches for this one. Listeners, I don't think this is working out. Let's break up, at least for two weeks, when we'll meet back and try to treat Peggy's headache. See you then.